Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, November 21st, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Paul. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Writer Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. What was that noise? That was me. I, I'm so used to waiting for HT coming before me, but then I remembered she's not here, so I had to quickly rush back. I thought I was you were the... practicing your Hannibal impression first. <laughs> that was the sound of air rushing back into the room as I <laughs> filled the void. Well, that's a good transition because HT is away. She's on vacation. She'll be back in a couple weeks, so uh, we miss her. But uh, we can we can do it without her, right? We <laughs> we can handle we're, this on our own. We're trying very hard. <laughs> Okay, uh, let's start off with what we've been doing. And by the way, I, I, I probably have very little to say on today's episode. So I'm gonna, uh, but I, because I did very little this week. But I uh, did decide to finally create my own Twitter account. I now have at Peter Serretta. So if you want to follow follow me on there, you can. Uh, I I was in the really weird position to. You know, I started when I started Slash Film, when Twitter first, you know, Twitter came about like a couple years after I started Slash Film, I was the only writer on the site. And uh, slowly, you know, the first six years, there were some other writers on the site, but I would say 90, 80% of the writing on the site was me. Uh, so the Twitter account was my personal Twitter account and the website Twitter account. Uh, in recent years, obviously, uh, I would say. I do, you know, I am very much not a, a, a big writer on the site. Uh, bulk of the work goes to you guys and also our freelancers. Um, and uh, I've also found it hard to, you know, the site, we've increased our news coverage. We have we have so much news on the site now. So it's hard for to put personal tweets out there or to even personal observations about movies and TV, because, you know, every half an hour, there's a news tweet being, you know, put onto the feed. And also, you know, I started this YouTube channel, Ordinary Adventures. And a lot of those people are, 
looking to follow me on social media but don't want all this movie news. So I thought it was finally time uh, to create a Twitter account, which is something I should have done a long time ago. Uh, I will say that uh, uh, selfishly is hard because I'm giving up this this Twitter account that has almost 200,000 followers to start over from scratch, (laughs) which uh, uh, is, you know interesting in its own i will say that you know we started the slash from twitter twitter account in the early days of twitter you know we have almost two hundred thousand followers but i think probably at this point i would say more than half of those people don't probably don't even use twitter anymore because it's been almost 15 years right like uh actually when i was transferring over to my new twitter account and following all the people that i followed on at slash film i was actually saddened at how many people i was following that are now dead like you know i i did not weed them out over the years and it was it was wait what what is yeah no people that are dead that like i was following that's oh (laughs) Um, i'm I'm trying to think of like uh, examples of this but um are you talking about people like steve jobs or just like people that you knew no uh, well no 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 well i mean some people i knew but like people like Stanley and, you know, celebrity, like, you know, big figures oh. that have died over the years. But it was just interesting. I didn't even know I was still following those people on my, you know, old Twitter. Account. I thought you were talking about like people you knew. And it was like, yeah. is someone like targeting your Twitter followers? <laughs> like, look out. There's a, there's a killer on the loose targeting Peter's followers. Yeah. You know, this, yeah. this is actually not a terrible pitch, Chris. I think you should write this treatment. <laughs> no. Have it on my no. desk by Monday. The Twitter killer. <laughs> That's going to be the next series on Quibi. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, so uh, I have started this new Twitter account. I'm doing a lot more personal observations, which I, uh, in recent years, have been like I've kept to our our slack for good or bad i don't know i feel like I, i've shut up a lot online uh on, on the at slash film twitter account so now i'm talking a lot about galaxy's edge and mandalorian and movies and tv and disneyland so if you want to follow me you can follow me at slash film but that's the whole story on that at, at peter serena right? oh oh what <laughs> you're did so I say? used to saying so, at slash film. oh my god this is this is just like yeah it, it, it's it's a know, life change it, it's it's hard to move on after you know having something for 13 years or you're gonna say you know, Peter, one of the things that's a big benefit here is the sheer number of times we've written an article from our freelancer or one of us that was a different opinion than yours and somebody who assumes everything on your twitter feed all is your opinion so they get really mad at us because like why did you change your opinion and when it's a different writer so i'm, I'm glad yeah. we end that confusion once and for all yeah now that was a common problem <laughs> and uh, like people would always bring up to me in arguments and stuff on uh, Twitter and social media, being like, "But you like this movie," and I was like, "No, I didn't." <laughs> uh, or you hated this movie, yeah. Uh, so, anyways, end of the confusion. You can follow me at Peter Soretta, and uh, that uh, that ends a you know an error. So, anyways, uh, I also this weekend I went to Disneyland because you know I go to Disneyland a lot, and I filmed a video with Kitra on. Uh, holiday tips and tricks, Disneyland holiday Christmas secrets that you might not know about. The first part of the video, there's a two-part video series, is up on the Ordinary Adventures Twitter uh, YouTube channel, and uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, but I recommend it. Um, I also, I, I think last week we were talking about uh, when is it, when is early enough to put up your Christmas tree. 
And uh, this last week uh, was late for me. I, I did. We erected our Christmas tree and our droid tree. And uh, we also did a video on that because uh, people love Christmas and love seeing all the like Star Wars ornaments that we have and stuff like that. So if you want to see that, uh, you can click over there. I know, I know, Brad. Brad, you do like a daily Instagram photo of your ornaments, right? Yeah, starting in December, I do a thing where it's I, I it's called Bradvent Calendar for my friends, and then I do Anderton and Adventerton Calendar on Twitter through the Ethan Anderton Twitter account. And so I just I pick a new ornament that I have that I haven't posted about for each day um, in December. So at some point, I feel like that's going to get more difficult because otherwise I'll have too many ornaments for my tree, or I'll have to get a second tree, and then <laughs> th- that'll just be insane. I'm already in that that world, Brad. But I I was inspired by your Instagram post to make this video, and uh, now people can can see Kitra and I's Christmas tree and our droid tree, and see all our favorite ornaments. So uh, I'll put a link to that also in the show notes. Uh, Chris, what have you been up to? Uh, I usually don't contribute to the what we're doing column because I'm usually doing nothing. But I figured I would uh, I would jump in this week just because I did something, and that is I adopted a turkey from Farm Sanctuary. Uh, to be clear, this doesn't mean the turkey's like coming to my house and living there. It's basically like fostering uh, a, a turkey at uh, this sanctuary up in upstate New York, and I try to do this every thanksgiving because i'm a i'm a vegetarian and i have a soft spot for animals and uh this is my way of contributing to thanksgiving because i don't (laughs) i don't eat turkey so i give money to this farm so they can keep uh these turkeys alive and from becoming food and her name is elsa the turkey thank you everyone wait did you get to name the turkey or did you No, no it's they give you an option to to pick various turkeys they already have names so i didn't i did not get to pick the turkey's name uh, i was gonna be to say like number one frozen fan that we didn't know yes <laughs> uh chris do they check in with you like send you updates on the turkey like throughout the year or something or is it just uh, around thanksgiving and that's it it's like every once in a while i'll get like an email it's not like a constant <laughs> it's not like a weekly thing like here's what your turkey's up to but yeah so i i try to do it every year around this time just to you know do it. This is my like one nice thing I do. It's the it's the one one nice thing I put out into the world is this. I, I pay money for turkeys to live. Chris making me feel terrible. No, I, I want to add. I'm not trying to like guilt trip anyone. You know, my wife still eats turkey around Thanksgiving. I don't like you know stare at her and like like judgmentally. I understand some people they don't want to give up meat. They're fine with eating meat. And that's fine. I don't I'm not one of those like crazy vegetarians who is like, how dare you eat meat? But for me, this makes me feel better. It's a thing I can do. It's the least I can do. So that's (laughs) that's what I do. Well, Chris, just wait until you find out uh, some of these turkeys that you're following on your Twitter feed are dead. So (laughs) Uh, Brad, what have you been up to? Um, so last weekend, my girlfriend and I went to Chicago to do a double feature and get some food. Um, and I gotta say, I, I was really mad with one person at one of my, uh, movie screenings because they would not shut up. Uh, seriously, one of the worst people I've ever encountered because this guy who was drunk was responding to almost every scene that was happening in the movie. Like every line he was going like, yep. Oh yeah, you know it. 
And like there was one time when he was even a scene at Christmas, and he goes, "Well, Merry Christmas," and it's just this drunk, fu- just just drunk asshole who just wouldn't shut up. Me and several other people had to get it, t- tell him to be quiet three different times, and every time we did, he was surprised, like he forgot people were around, or uh, and that he was a jerk. Uh, I just like it made me want them to never like serve alcohol in theaters, and I know that's upsetting to some people because you want to cut loose when you go out to your movie. I think. But hey, don't be an asshole. Don't come to a movie drunk, especially if it's a movie that's long and I have to endure your stupid ass for several hours. Just shut up when you go to the movie theater. Uh, okay, so don't get drunk in the movie theater with Brad. Brad, have you ever or, have you ever gotten drunk in a movie theater? No, because I'm not an asshole. <laughs> okay. What were you gonna say, uh, Jacob? I wasn't going to say anything. I was on mute, uh, but I will oh. say I've been drunk in a movie theater about five or six times. <laughs> so, let, let, let me let me rephrase. It's okay to be drunk in a movie theater, but but I'm sure Jacob, you're not allowed jerk about it. Oh no, um, I'm allowed jerk afterwards. See, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that, perfect, perfect, perfectly that's acceptable. Okay, um, let's uh, wait. Jacob, have you ever had like because you live you have lived for many years with the Alamo Draft House, which is you know has Draft House in its name. Have you ever had this problem in your neck of the woods? Uh, in the many, in my over a decade going to the draft house in Austin, I've seen two people who were drunk enough they would not be quiet and were thrown out. Uh, I think it's pretty good. I've seen people who were who maybe had a little bit of a drink and were told to you know be quiet by a manager, but they always did. I've only said maybe twice I've seen people had to actually be removed from the theater. Ben, how about you? So uh, I, I basically wanted to turn this into a referendum on what is and is not acceptable in movie theaters because I saw that Brad wrote this on our document of, of something to, that he wanted to talk about. And I actually have uh, four instances that I want to bring up over the past <laughs> uh, week or two where um, maybe a little bit longer, but I, I've been sort of um, banking these to talk about in one big burst on the podcast. And this feels like the perfect place to do it. So uh, I've experienced some really, really ludicrous behavior by audience members in theaters recently. So I, I went to see uh, Frozen 2 recently at the El Capitan Theater, which is it's owned by Disney. It's like a family theater. There was a guy sitting uh, directly in front of my wife and I who had his computer out, like a full open laptop. Um, Thankfully, by the time the movie began, uh, the laptop was put away. But leading up to the movie, he had his movie, he had his entire laptop open, and he created like a tent for himself with like this huge... um, like a raincoat, like a poncho thing that he was wearing. So he would hide the laptop on his lap, and then like... uh, basically like encase himself in this in this poncho setup where he was like typing stuff and doing god knows what on his computer i actually happened to look over his shoulder right before and saw that he was trying to get tickets for uh comic-con next year so he was like like playing this game of chicken with whether the movie was going to start first or whether he was going to be able to get into this waiting room and actually get his tickets first. And the people, the families that were sitting next to him were so concerned because they did not see (laughs) that he was doing that. And they, I'm sure, thought the absolute worst of this guy. Like, what the hell is this guy doing? And so security had to be called. He's just trying to get Comic-Con passes. (laughs) But, like, it's one of those things, Peter, where, like, you see this, he has no intention of... uh, or no, you know, there's no sign of him putting it away as the music is playing at El Cap. Like, 
you know, uh, leading into the movie, essentially. So it's like, is this going to be a problem? Is this guy going to be like, you know, ducking under and having a full brightness up on a laptop the whole time? So that was just an absurd situation. Eventually, security came over and told the guy to put his computer away. And I I don't know whether he got his tickets or not, but good luck to that guy, I guess. And then uh, this other lady in the front row of a theater that I went to recently decided to get out of her seat and just sit on the floor and lean back and use the theater use the the seat cushion as like a head cushion i've never seen anyone do that before and so she was like her full body she was like laid out on the floor um like extended toward the screen and i was just like what this is not your living room just sit in a seat like a normal person for god's sake um there ben, was somebody ben, had a, to be fair yeah. those seats in the el capitan are really uncomfortable this was not at the el cap this was at okay. a, a different screening room um I'm, I'm by the way just trying to get to take the absurd devil's advocate <laughs> on all this i don't yeah, believe okay. this well, I, speaking of drunk guys, there was a, a drunk guy at uh, a Q&A of Honey Boy where Shia LaBeouf was there. We were actually in the front row for that screening, too. And this guy was sitting next to us. And before the movie started, he's like, so, like, what do you guys know about Shia LaBeouf? Like, you big fans? And and we're like, yeah, you know, whatever. My wife's like, I used to watch Even Stevens when I was, you know, growing up. And he's like, yeah, I don't really know much about him. I, uh... I watched the Transformers movies and then I saw that he was in Nymphomaniac and I was like, I see you player play on. All right, cool, cool. Yeah. (laughs) And we're like, all right. And then, so like this guy basically admits that he's seen what four Shia LaBeouf movies total. And so he's drunk throughout this whole thing. Thankfully he was quiet during the actual movie, but during the Q and a he's sitting, you know, 10 feet away from Shia LaBeouf. Who's right in front of us doing this, uh, this Q and a session. And he's just like, talking to him openly as the q a is going on he's like we love you brother yeah yeah like just like interjecting and it's just like man q a's should just be banished but uh i mean yeah i guess piggybacking off what brad said just like don't be a drunk asshole in the theater come on um and then finally there's by the uh, way i think you could just take drunk out of there and just don't be an asshole in theater yes yeah absolutely uh and then finally really quickly there was uh somebody that my wife and i have have referred to as the sniff bro who i don't know if he has a cocaine problem or what but there was somebody in our screening of uh god that ian uh, the good liar um the ian mckellen movie where this person was doing a loud sniff um, it, multiple times a minute. And I looked over to make sure that they weren't actively doing cocaine in the theater and they were not. I think this person was just sick. But if you're so sick that you're loudly sniffing literally multiple times a minute um, and you're sitting in a theater where there's not that many people and everyone in there can hear you sniffing, maybe just take a sick day and don't go to that screening. So all of this just boils down to like, think about the other people who you may be affecting with your actions and uh, just try not to be an asshole, basically. Yeah. The the worst is when someone is doing that sniffing thing when they're trying not to sneeze. And if they had just sneezed, it would be like a lot less bother on everybody. Oh yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um there I you know, I won't mention who, but there is a journalist in the LA journalism community who has a laptop that in press screenings, he puts the laptop in his in his bag and he has a keyboard on his lap and he puts a he puts a uh, his coat over his keyboard. He touch types his notes during the movie. And you can kind of hear it. It is it, that is that bad. 
Yes. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, Call I, the police. Yeah. You can't do that, man. Like, I'm sorry. You know, you can write things down with a notebook and a pen like a normal person, but you, if you're clicking away during a movie, no, I, I don't think so. I remember reading a profile of Roger Ebert back in the day. It described how every school he'd go to, he'd have a big stack of paper or a notepad. And he would scrawl his notes during the movie, tear the paper off, and throw it to the side. And at the end of the movie, his wife would collect all his papers for him from the ground, and they'd leave. Like, I'm thinking, like, if even Roger Ebert's a bad moviegoer, what's going on here? I think that might have been earlier in his career, because I know when uh, – before Slash Film, I, I worked as a volunteer at Sundance uh, Film Festival – and I know it one year, I think maybe 2004, 2005, he lost his notes in a uh, in a screening. And I, by at that point, he had this whole system. He had this like, uh, I don't know if it's a notebook, one of those leather things that unzips. It's like a portfolio. I don't know. Whatever it is. And on one side, he would have like index cards. And on the other side, he had like a pocket so he'd take an index card out, write a note, and then put it into the pocket on the other side. Um, and that was his system at least in the last, like, you know, 10 years of his life. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, well, or maybe maybe that was just his system at Sundance because, uh, you know, his wife couldn't be there to pick up all the notes. <laughs> off the ground. But he lost it, and uh, one of my friends actually found it and was able to return it to Hebert. So that was a fun story back in the day. Um, okay. Let's move on to what we've been reading. Ben is the only one reading this week. What did you read? I read The Art of Game of Thrones, which is the final uh, Game of Thrones book in this series that I was sent um, from Inside Editions. And I loved this book. This one was really, really great. I was slightly disappointed with the photography book, but this one sort of gave me everything that the photography book did not. It, it has It's basically just full of concept art. And if you love concept art, and you liked Game of Thrones, even up until, you know, even if you didn't like the last season, there's so much to love in this book. Jacob, I thought of you a lot when I was reading this. I think this, you should definitely add this to like your Christmas list or something, because there's so much cool stuff in here. This book is so nice. It's, it's really heavy and huge. And it's like a perfect coffee table book. Um, there's also really interesting stuff in there too, about it's not just concept art. It's like a uh, plans and blueprints and stuff for how they built the stages and the the sets and um they talk about you know this area where uh like cersei's bedroom was was built in the paint hall this this big um spot where these where they built ships in uh, northern ireland back in the day like where the titanic was constructed so cersei's bedroom scene was in this big sound stage and then they redressed that to turn it into like the hand of the king's chambers and stuff like little details like that that I'd never read from all of my you know Game of Thrones fandom and uh, obsessively reading basically everything I could about it. There, this book still taught me some stuff about like how the actual production team went about making the show. So all of that is mixed in with um, you know the the sort of uh, the main course of all of this incredible. Um, concept art so uh the book is called the art of game of thrones and it's out right now and i would definitely recommend checking it out if you're a fan i know some of those other game of thrones books you were disappointed or mixed with it sounds like you like this one uh the best i think it's between this one and the costumes one for me because the costumes one also it just gave me a whole new uh, appreciation for the level of detail that went into the show that the costume stuff it's like you can barely catch some of those details on camera because they're so far away but you get so many close-ups into uh, the work that Michelle Clapton and her team did there and and how all of the decisions that she made basically like um, 
furthered the characters' stories or, or went into their headspace and was made with materials that those characters would theoretically have access to in those parts of the world and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, if you're into, like, that level of detail, I think the costume one is really great. But just, um, you know, from a sheer, like, beauty perspective, the art of Game of Thrones is really awesome, too. Very cool. Okay, let's move on to what we've been watching this weekend. Ben and I both got to see Frozen 2 at the all-media screening at the El Capitan Theater, uh, which was mentioned previously in this podcast. Uh, I Actually, you know, I'm going to throw it to Ben first. Ben, what did you think of the movie? I really, really loved the first Frozen, and I didn't like this one quite as much. I still think it's uh, worth watching, but I thought thematically it sort of dropped the ball a little bit at the end of the movie. It seemed to be making some pretty big statements and and setting itself up for a pretty um, like subversive uh, and maybe even like a controversial kind of ending. And then it it sort of um, it zigged when I thought it should have zagged. And I came away with a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth because I didn't think it quite stuck the landing. And maybe we can talk about that a little bit more in detail, like once the movie comes out. But, um, you know, it, it's a beautiful movie in terms of the animation and all of that stuff. And, and the voice work is tremendous. And I think Kristen Bell gets a real um, even more of a chance to shine here as Anna than she did in the first movie. She has a lot to do in this film, but um, yeah, ultimately I, I'm kind of uh, mixed on it. What did you think, Peter? I also was a big fan of Frozen One. I know a lot of people have waned on that in previous years with all you know the Let It Go everywhere, but um, I I think I I like this less than you, Ben. Actually, <laughs> I thought you were going to like it more than uh, more than that, but I I, I do think I dislike this more. Uh, I don't think. You know, it, it feels very much to me like Toy Story 4. It feels unnecessary. And even the story that they come up with that kind of they try to find a back asswards reason to have it feels like it's not necessary and feels kind of like, oh, uh, we're going to add some stuff to the, you know, the backstory of these characters so that they now have this thing at the end uh, they you know you want to get to and it i don't know it just doesn't work for me the music is not nearly as good as frozen one um there is one musical sequence which is brilliant but even that to me felt weird because of and i don't want to spoil anything for anybody but it feels more contemporary than the the rest of the movie <laughs> Yeah, I know um, what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about when you see it. Uh, I will say this. Olaf, who I was kind of annoyed by in the first Frozen, uh, I love. I fell in love with. And in this one, he's much more introspective. It's, it's such an interesting way to go with that character. Um, it, the end of this movie, and we're, we're probably going to have to have a discussion at some point. The end of this movie leaves the characters off in a place that's very problematic. Um and uh, yeah, so I, I think there's probably gonna be lots of uh, editorials written on that, and I uh, I'm surprised that Disney didn't foresee that, but um yeah, we'll we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, but Frozen two, and uh yeah, uh, so I guess we're both saying uh maybe go see it. Yeah, that, I think so. Maybe go see it. If you really like the first one, I think just set your expectations a little bit low and maybe you'll still have a decent time. It's, you know, for a Thanksgiving movie with your family, it's probably fine. But, um, you know, if you're hoping for something uh, tremendous, it's, yeah. it's not quite that for me. It's definitely not a bad movie. And I will say this. It is beautiful. 
like the animation and the the like all the locations and it, it just looks so beautiful like uh mm-hmm. it, yeah anyways okay uh moving on let's move on to ford versus ferrari uh jacob you, you saw this film yeah ford versus ferrari it's really good uh james mangold who did a walk the line and logan uh and 310 the yuma he's just one of those consummate filmmakers who shows up looks at the story, says, how I tell the story the best, shoots it the best way he can, and delivers a movie that may not have the highest ambitions from the outset, but ends up being the sort of old-fashioned entertainment that kind of, like, lingers. Like, movies he's made that maybe I didn't love at the time, I'll just, if I see them on TV, I watch them. And I see them on stream, and I go, oh, I like the movie, I'll watch a few minutes, I get sucked back in. He's just one of those guys who has a sort of old-fashioned vibe that I was filmmaking, where it's, where it's just about story first, character first, delivering that first. And Ford versus Ferrari really continues uh, that style of filmmaking. And everything about here, everything here is all these simple Hollywood pleasures. It's, you know, movie stars you like looking really cool in racing gear. Uh, it's fast, fast, cool cars going right toward the camera. Uh, it is funny. It is um, intense. It is dramatic. It's romantic. It is just everything you want out of like a four adults, you know, two and a half hour ra- racing drama. It really delivers It's an audience film. And in an era where we everybody's, you know, pondering about, you know, what's the future of this kind of movie where everything is superhero, everything's a blockbuster epic. This movie existing gives me hope that, you know, Disney sees what 20th Century Fox can do as a studio and they let them continue making movies like this because it's not gonna make my top ten of the year, but I guarantee you if Ford versus Ferrari comes on HBO, you know, two years from now, I will sit down and I'll watch it again. I'll do that again the year after and the year after because it's just Two and a half hours of things working and clicking and moving at a pace that is just a chef's kiss. Uh, I really like Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, uh, Brad, you saw it too, right? Yeah, I did. Um, I don't think I enjoyed it quite as much as you, but it is, it's, it's a very entertaining movie for sure. Uh, Matt Damon and Christian Bale are outstanding in it. I, I love the dynamic between um, these two friends who, you know, argue with each other and are, are kind of at odds, but, you know, still respect each other at the end of the day. Um, Josh Lucas is great as, you know, this smarmy Ford executive who keeps trying to, you know, derail the the, um, the plans that uh, Bale and Damon's characters have because he doesn't know any better. Um, Tracy Letts is great as uh, Henry Ford II as well. I always love seeing him in supporting roles like this. Uh, he just brings so much so much weight to every role that he plays. I think he's one of the best character actors uh, working today. Um, I think the first half of the movie is a little bit... needs some work as far as pacing is concerned because it, it dragged a little bit to me, but the second half... Uh, moves at such a, a great pace and it's, it's so exciting that it didn't really take away from the overall uh, movie for me. But I feel like some some fat could have been trimmed uh, here and there. But over, overall, it was very enjoyable. And it should come as no surprise uh, that my dad loved it, as many dads will. <laughs> it's a I dad forgot movie? to mention... Oh, yeah, it's a total dad movie. <laughs> I forgot to mention when I was talking about this, um, I don't know, last week or the week before, it's also a movie about the act of making movies. Um, it, it's one of those where, like, uh, Matt Damon and Christian Bale's characters are on this quest for perfection. And I, I really felt like James Mangold was making this statement about, um, you know, getting little creative wins here and there within, like, while working within the Hollywood studio system. So, um I forgot to mention that before, but I think if, you, if you're interested in this movie and you look at it, especially through that lens, um, it maybe adds a, a different layer to it, too. So uh, Yeah, Ben's completely right here. I mean, the movie is about two guys building cars and trying to build, you know, 
the best possible cars to uh, achieve what they need, but we'll deal with constant corporate meddling from people who think they know how to build better cars. And Mangold has been, you know, he's been a studio player for most of his career. So it's fascinating of all the guys to make this movie. He's the guy who knows what it's like to work within that system and still deliver. I mean, he made Logan for God's sake, a movie I, you know, is his artistic triumph despite being, you know, uh, released by a major studio and being an X-Men movie. Uh, but real quickly, I want to ask uh, everybody this because I know Christian Bale is getting a lot of attention here. Oscar attention because I've never seen Christian Bale this loose and fun in a long time. I mean, so often he's about, you know, playing characters who are so deadly serious, require him to like do physical transformations where here he's just being like a really charming movie star, which we haven't seen Christian Bale do in a long time. And I think Matt Damon is, I don't know, maybe because I'm from Texas, but Matt Damon is doing the Texas man so well here. Um, like I said, I, his generation became the grandfathers all new, and I've met so many old Texas men who Matt Damon is nailing the mannerisms of. I think they're both really spectacular. I want to hear real quickly, uh, what do you guys think about these performances? Because it's my favorite Matt Damon here with Christian Bale in quite some time. What do you think, Brad? Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't quite as um, smitten, I guess, with Matt Damon, simply because I didn't feel like there was, I don't know, much range in his performance he's he's pretty level the whole way through whereas christian bale i think has has ups and downs and that, that may be just because his character's journey is a little bit more uh complex than matt damon's you, you get a taste of matt damon's character in the opening moments but after that he's pretty much on on the straightaway the entire time so i think maybe that's why i like christian bale's more but you know matt, matt damon was still very good for sure yeah, I think this is the kind of movie that could just be kind of a dud with the wrong people in it. And I think it, these are the perfect people for it. And and they they bring such an ease to their performances that um, that works really, really well in like the high pressure situations that that uh, are all throughout this movie. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, Jacob. I really liked both of their work in this one. I know you were talking about the the movie analogy here, and I'm wondering because I, I have heard a, some people online talk about this film and criticized it for kind of like it's about like, you know, who can spend more money to solve the problem? Like, is there something there with the Hollywood system as well? I, I think that doesn't carry a lot of weight in the actual narrative of the movie. Doesn't. Um, I think if you want to compare it to like to, to modern day racing, yeah, because that is what modern day racing is, who, who has the most money to, to build a better car. But so much of this movie is dedicated to uh, how that money is used and the creative process of utilizing the, the funds given them by a corporation. I have a hard time looking at that as a negative thing. It's, it's about artists uh, trying to perfect their art uh, as opposed to people being given enough money to win automatically. Mm -hmm. Okay. I still need to see it. Okay. What have I been watching? I've uh, been watching The Mandalorian. Uh, you can hear all about that on the Friday podcast that I've done with Brad. So check those out. Um, and I've also checked out the first two episodes of Encore on Disney+. Plus. I know Brad talked about this a couple weeks back. This is the show produced and hosted by Kirsten Bell. And it is about, about uh, you know, like college or high school uh, programs that were like stage programs that th they bring the people back like 10, you know, 20 years later 
to perform that same musical again. The first one is Annie. Uh, the second one is actually Beauty and the Beast, which seemed like it might actually have been a better first episode, considering this is a Disney streaming service. Uh, but uh, Belle does not appear at the actual production at the end, so I assume that's why they included the one they did. I actually think the second episode is probably a better episode as a whole. And uh, surprisingly, I, I don't know, I didn't expect to like the show, and this is... This is junk food entertainment. This is reality television, but uh, it is entertaining, and uh, it is uh, one of the Disney Plus original shows that I think I will keep on watching. So, uh, but I, I, it, it does seem like Belle like is not a part of the show. She like put her name on it, and you know does an intro. <laughs> but um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe she's very heavily involved in choosing everything. I don't know. Uh, the only other thing I watched this week was I've been watching Survivor. I know I've talked about this uh, already on this podcast, uh, Survivor. Uh, Island of the Idols is the season, and this season has been so good. It's been one of the best Survivor seasons. So if you're looking to get into Survivor, um, I would say, you know, maybe check this out. I, I think it might be on, it's at least on CBS All Access. It might be on Hulu. Um, and uh, this season has been kind of, getting into some more social political topics. Like I mentioned a few weeks back, there was this whole discussion at the tribal council about, uh, you know, the whole idea of an all female alliance and how sexist that is in the last episode there, or the episode before the last, uh, there was a whole me too thing where one contestant, uh, she was having problems with a guy contestant, uh, touching her in, what she felt was inappropriate ways. And she expressed this to some of her team members and they also said that they were having the same problem. So it's this like whole me too thing where, uh, the producers had to shut down the show that, uh, talk to everybody involved. It, um, I don't want to spoil where it goes, but it actually goes to a very disgusting in that, uh, some of these people were using that for game, to, for their gameplay and it wasn't actually that they had, you know, thought that his touches were inappropriate. Um, so it is very, very interesting. And I would highly recommend checking out survivor this season. It's very, very good. Um, Jacob, what have you been watching? Well, the one thing I've been watching, uh, often has been the crown season three, which just hit Netflix last week. And I've always liked The Crown. I like its sort of Mad Men structure where each episode is its own contained short story and each season kind of builds all to like a head, yeah, even though each episode stands alone. And the big deal of this season is that like the first two, it follows the reign of Queen Elizabeth uh, uh, throughout her life in 20th century. But uh, this season recast Claire Foy with Olivia Coleman to uh, show, showcase the, uh, the passage of time. Like and Matt Smith's now now Matt Smith's no longer on the show. He's now played by um Prince, Prince Phillips, now played by Tobias Menzies, and everyone's been recast. And uh, for the most part, it works really well. I was surprised by how seamless the transition to the new cast was. Uh, Livy Coleman, though, is just she's spectacular. She won Oscar uh, for the favorite recently, and this is a very different performance. That was you know a very crass comical performance. This is a very severe you know withheld performance and. She's just a miracle. She's wonderful to watch. And uh, I, she makes so many subtle choices that resonate. And when she does go big, 
uh, it matters in ways that uh, uh, that that really linger with you. Uh, the big issue I think some people have this season is that the drama is a bit less intense. I mean, by this point in in the English history, uh, the crown mattered less, monarchy mattered less. So, so much of the season is about uh, the Queen of England and her family trying to make sure that they're not written off and trying to make sure they survive. And it leads to a lot of conflicts that are very minor, like should uh, Prince Charles be sent to Wales to learn Welsh if he's going to be named, you know, um, Prince of Wales? And that's actually one of the best episodes of the season. Uh, but you have to understand that and appreciate that the drama is low-key and the show is asking you to, uh, you know, go along with these conflicts that are so beyond traditional dramatic storytelling. Yeah, the, the drama is very quiet. It's very austere. Uh, but if you like the first two seasons, this is more the same in a good way. Uh, and that's The Crown Season 3, uh, now streaming on Netflix. Okay. Uh, oh, actually, one one last thing I wanted to mention. I know I was uh, mentioning some Disney Plus TV shows, and I think last week or the week before, I complained that the avatars that you choose for your user avatar, that uh, Kitra was couldn't pick Ray, but they had like a Stormtrooper avatar. So a bunch of people wrote in and explained the reason for this. And the reason is that except for Disney Channel shows that they don't have the license for human faces. So that's why, like, on a lot of these kind of merchandising things, you see Kylo in his helmet. You don't see Kylo without his helmet. Here, you don't have any of the Star Wars characters that that have, you know, their helmets off. That's I mean, I'm guessing that's why, you know, Star Wars loves helmets, because Disney can get away with not paying these human, uh, you know, actors for their their likenesses. So, uh, you know, it isn't a, a, any conspiracy that, you know, we know where Rey is. It's just, uh, it's you know. They don't want to pay the money is, is the answer. Okay. Uh, Chris, what have you been watching? Uh, I saw 21 Bridges, which is the new uh, Chadwick Boseman movie, and it is very forgettable. I saw it, like, I think, three days ago, and I already, like, forget most of it. So 21 Bridges, you can avoid seeing it. I promise you, you're not missing anything. Do they show all 21 bridges? I don't. They only show like three bridges. That's another thing. I demand, even though I didn't pay for the movie, I demanded my money back because they didn't show 21 bridges in the film. Um, I also saw, I watched Claws on uh, Netflix. It's a, a new an animated movie. And you know what? This movie is actually pretty good. Uh, what's What's good about it is the animation looks gorgeous. Even though it's computer animation, it's styled to look like it's hand drawn and it looks really good. And you know, the jokes are, are amusing. It's, it's surprisingly dark for a family movie. It has like really dark sense of humor and you know, it's not like going to blow you away, but for, you know, an animated holiday film, it was a lot better than I thought it would be. So check that out. That's I, now I, streaming. I feel like Netflix doesn't get a lot of love for their animated stuff, like not just TV, but also their movies. Like they, they have a lot of like pretty decent original animated productions. Maybe it's, you know, not on the level of Disney and Pixar or DreamWorks, but um, they're pretty good. Like, yeah, they, like I would, you know, I would say this is better than any of those goddamn minion movies they keep releasing like this deserves actual attention and it probably won't get it just because you know it went right to netflix but i urge you to check it out listeners and finally i rewatched copland which is something i haven't watched in a few years it just suddenly like 
came to my mind. Um, you know, this is the movie it came out in 1997, and it, it was like a big deal at the time because Sylvester Stallone like gained a bunch of weight, and it was like his first really like serious role in a very long time because he had mostly just stuck with action movies. And I remember when it came out, it was like a big deal because they had all these people. You know, it had Ray Liotta and, and Robert De Niro and Harvey Keitel. You know, it was all these like uh martin scorsese actors basically and as a kid who sort of like grew up on martin scorsese stuff i was really excited about that and the movie was so low-key i remember not being sort of like impressed with it at the time but as i've gotten older i've come to really appreciate this film it's very very low-key and uh, you know there is like a big shootout at the end but other than that it's it's really just like a character drama and Stallone is is really good in this movie. Like it's probably like his best performance outside of maybe like Creed. I think he's really good in the first Creed movie, but this is like a really uh, quiet, somber, melancholy performance, and it it just feels like um, this is like a, a western crossed with a Bruce Springsteen song. And there's like it just has that vibe, and I, I really loved it. And this is also a James Mangold film, so we have two James Mangold films on this show, which is just a coincidence. That's a coincidence you didn't revisit this because of that movie? No, it just suddenly just came to my mind out of nowhere. And I uh, I decided I didn't own it on Blu-ray. So I, I think it was like for sale for like nine bucks on Amazon. I was like, yeah, I'm going to buy Copland. And I did. And I watched you see, it. Chris backs me up here. James Mangle makes movies a decade or more later. You remember and go, that was a good movie. And you watch it and like it. That's yeah. That's what James Mangle makes. <laughs> it's true. Okay, uh, one of Chris's favorite movies of the year so far is Irishman. Brad, you got to see this this weekend. Yes, I finally got around to seeing it. It's playing at a theater in Chicago, and I wanted to make sure I saw it on the big screen before it hit Netflix. And uh, I love this movie. It really, you know, it's um, it's been a while since I think I've really, I don't know, hardcore loved a Martin Scorsese movie. I think Wolf of Wall Street is fantastic, and that was definitely one of my favorite movies of that year. But this movie is uh, just just on another level. It really is um, a masterpiece, and it's it can, sometimes it can be easy to throw around that word, but this this really is, you know, a a film that represents Martin Scorsese's you know the the late phase of his career. And Jacob talked about this before about how it's really a rumination on his place, you know, in uh, both life, you know, and and film history. I, I feel like he he reflects on what he's done previously, especially when it comes to uh, all of the mob movies he directed. It's it's so funny to me that thinking back now on the whole stupid Marvel Martin Scorsese controversy about how many people were trying to take jabs at Scorsese because all he makes are mobster films, and this movie really kind of digs into that and reflects on you know the the significance of those movies and his significance and uh, impact on on cinema and that genre or subgenre if you will and i feel like it's just it really is this this wonderful reflective uh film that has uh a lot to say about where where he's at in his life and how he looks back on the legacy that he le- he'll leave behind what else have you been watching this week Brad uh, I also saw Marriage Story, which was playing in 35mm uh, at the Music Box Theater, which is the closest uh, thing that I have to having something like a New Beverly or an Alamo Draft House or something like that around here. Um, and it was pretty cool to see a movie uh, on film. I, I, it's been a while since I've, I've seen a movie that's actually um, not a digital projection, and the movie itself was outstanding. Uh, I think it's Noah Baumbach's uh, best film, probably. And Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson are delivering powerhouse performances 
in this movie. Uh, they're they're so sincere and and heartbreaking, and it's it's a tough movie to watch them because of how authentic their their pain feels. And I love how Baumbach just like lingers on it. And it's it's not he's not just focusing on the the the, the big drama and uproar that comes when they have these arguments. Like he lingers on the quiet moments and really lets you feel like the pain that's there. But then also there's the, the more tender moments where even in the, the heart of this, you know, terrible, bitter divorce, you can tell that there's still love between them, even though it's not the same love that they may have had when they first met. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a fantastic movie. And so uh, that'll be out on Netflix event, um, in December as well. But if you get a chance to see it in theaters, I, um, I think it's, it's, it's worth going to. God, there's like so many good movies I have missed this year so far. Uh, I got to play catch up in the next couple of weeks. Ben, uh, what have you been watching? Peter, Peter, might I suggest the next time you're going to Disneyland or whatever, go to the movies instead. <laughs> here, 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 yeah, come here, on. Here's the thing, Chris, though. I, I now have a YouTube channel that we, we have scheduled three videos a week. So it, in are you, reality... Are these vid- so you just always go to Disney for these? I mean, no, we we do other stuff. Like uh, on Friday, we're going to Knott's Berry Farm for their holiday celebration. Next week, what we're you need to do is, is bring the camera, bring the camera into the movie theater. I think that's allowed legally. <laughs> and <laughs> film- but, what, but you what's do- a more ordinary adventure than going to the movies? <laughs> <laughs> but you do bring up a good point. Like deciding to take on this whole ordinary adventures thing has definitely cut down on my movie watching because it does. Between going to these things, you know, we spent a whole day in Disney editing them, you know, making a thumbnail, you know, writing a post to go along with it. Like, it's a lot of work. I'm not complaining, but I'm just saying I, I've just had a lot less time to, to actually go out and see movies. And uh, You need to get yourself an intern, an unpaid intern, first of all, so you don't have to spend any money on this. Just put an ad out somewhere. For college credit, so that's how that's how they sucker people into internships. Just put that out there. I, I refuse to do that, Chris. <laughs> you're running out of time, Peter. It's November twenty first. If you're if you're still doing three videos a week for the rest of the year, you're not going to be able to catch up at, at the rate you're. Here's the most going. horrible thing: is I'm part of a critic circle, and we need to put our votes in this week. So I have not seen a lot. I'm hoping that. Um, <laughs> this is bad to say, but I, I'm hoping that, you know, the, the people in my critic circle have seen a lot more than me and that those nominees will win out and that'll give me a chance to catch up once the nominees are available with, uh, I, I know what I need to catch up on. I, I know what the talk is about, but I just, uh, just have not had time anyways. Uh, Ben, what, what, what have you been watching? So I saw Uncut Gems, which is the new movie by the Safdie brothers. And uh, I talked not too long ago about watching Good Time for the first time and how that movie is just like, you know, it's very um, it's very high key all the way through. And this movie, I think, is even more so. It's like high anxiety. The movie it is not the Mel Brooks movie, but it's it's a movie full of that gave me anxiety the entire time. And I'm not really like prone to it. But uh, man, this thing is just it, it's like people like everyone in it you know adam sandler uh, kevin garnett lakeith stanfield idina menzel is in this every single person in this movie seems to be operating at a 10 out of 10 on the volume scale at all times it's just like everyone is screaming their way through this thing and like talking over each other and it's one of those movies where somebody wants something but gets sidelined 
the entire movie is the sideline, like, you know, just being taken away and trying desperately to get back to this thing that you want. And, you know, it's as like, I'm not, not always a big fan of that as a, as a structure. Like there's this episode of Atlanta that it reminded me of. Um, I think it's the second season of Atlanta, uh, the fifth episode where Paperboy is just trying to get a haircut and he goes to this barber shop and the barber's like, okay, yeah, I can give you a haircut. I just need to do this one thing. Like, come with me and we'll just, you know, it'll be just a minute. Like, I can take you to my house and do it. And they just, the entire episode is them getting sidetracked and Paperboy is just getting so frustrated because all he wants is to get this freaking haircut. That's what Uncut Gems reminded me of. It, it's very much like that. And I think uh, Adam Sandler is as good as everybody's saying he is. He definitely, like, gives a shit in this movie and, and it's it shows and I think he, you know, he... Uh, just got a nomination for an independent spirit award this morning. And I, I think that's totally warranted. Um, but I, I'm just not sure if I'm on the Safdie brothers level. Um, has anybody else, else here seen this movie? I don't remember if you guys have talked about it. Like Chris, did you see it at a festival or anything? Yeah, I saw it at TIFF and uh, I'm right there with you. I actually loved good time. I thought good time was, was great. Even though I agree, it's very uh, tense, but this people seem to love this more than good time. And I'm, I'm like the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm not saying I don't like this movie. I mean, it's, it's really well-made and Adam Sandler is great, but this movie is so tense and it's, it's literally people make bad choices. The movie it's like, yeah. it's like two full hours of people making really bad choices. And, you know, I'm, I have, unlike you, Ben, I actually do have anxiety and I'm, I'm, I'm like anxious all the time to begin with. So sitting through this, this was like the last movie I saw at TIFF. So I had to see this, then I had to catch a plane. And, oh God. <laughs> and so as everyone knows, I'm always tense about flying to begin with. So I was already tense and then I watched the most tense movie ever made. And by the time I left the theater, like I felt like my head was going to explode. So maybe I need to like revisit it now that I'm not about to get on a plane, but uh, I I do not love this as much as I love Good Time. The yeah. movie you guys are describing it sounds like my a movie made for me. I'm so excited to see. Yeah, this damn I movie. think you're gonna <laughs> love it. It's one of those things, man. It's just like I I couldn't get on its wavelength, but I think if you are, if you if you're able to get on its wavelength, I think it does exactly what you want from this kind of movie. So, um, yeah, there's, there's my take on uncut gems. I think that comes out, uh, God, when, what is the release date for that? December 13th, uh, 824 is releasing that. So, um, I also had a chance to see the Fleabag one woman show. So everybody knows Fleabag, the, the Amazon show created by Phoebe Waller bridge. Um, it began as a one woman show and, uh, fathom events was putting on, sort of like a limited, I don't, I don't think it's a one-time only thing because they've actually done it once before and I was out of town and I wasn't able to see it, but they they did like a, uh, a broadcast of the recording of her doing this one-woman show. And since my wife and I really loved, uh, especially season two, but all of Fleabag, we wanted to go check this out. And um, they, yeah, it, it was, uh, I mean, it's like, I don't know how much I want to talk about this because I'm not sure how many other people are going to have the opportunity to, to see it. But if you're a big Fleabag fan, I would definitely recommend doing this if Fathom Events does something like this again. And it's it's just so good. Like the writing is so on point and just watching her, she sort of like acts out some of the characters as well and as, you know, she she plays this version of herself or this version of this, this lead character that she's created. But she also does like some voice stuff here and there. Um, it's a, she mostly is sitting in a chair on a stage the whole time and it's not super physical, but she gets up and, and sort of moves around a little bit. Um, 
I thought that uh, it's just a, a really like you can see the gem of Fleabag was there from the start in this one woman show. So the idea of like a producer sitting in the audience and watching her and being like, my God, this is the perfect thing for a TV show. Um, it's very easy to understand how that happened. So, uh, yeah, if you get a chance and, and you're a big fan of uh, the streaming series, then check out the Fleabag one woman show. Fathom Events is where I saw that um, at an AMC theater. So maybe just keep an eye on Fathom's website for upcoming shows if they do that again uh i also saw the souvenir which uh, came out earlier this year is directed written and directed by joanna hogg and it is a movie that's sort of um vaguely autobiographical it it is about this young woman who is at film school who's supposed to be sort of like a a version of joanna hogg when she was growing up and um it stars honor swinton Byrne, who is uh, i'm sorry uh, tilda swinton's daughter and uh, I think this is her first movie. And it's really, I mean, the, the thing I walked away with most from The Souvenir is just being really impressed with this as anybody's first performance. It's very, very um, uh, vulnerable and raw. And um, and yeah, just it, she is immediately somebody to keep your eye on in terms of like up and coming actors. Um, I didn't love the movie. I just watched it this morning. So I'm still sort of uh, mulling it over in my mind. But um I think there's a lot to like in it if you are a fan of, uh, you know, if you like movies that come out of the Sundance Film Festival and you're, uh, you know, if you're into the, if you're tapped into the indie scene at all, um, definitely add this one to your list because there's, there's a lot of uh, tropes there that, um, you know, it sort of checks off a lot of boxes in terms of like the cinematography, the aesthetic, the look of it, um, you know, the, the idea of this sort of quasi autobiographical story. It, it seems like, very uh, um, I don't know like on paper it could seem like just a checklist but the movie itself comes alive and um, I think it's, it's worth checking out if you're you know if you call yourself a cinephile maybe then uh, then watch it also shout out to Tom Burke an actor I've never seen before who plays the male lead in this movie and he is supposed to be playing um, Orson Welles in David Fincher's new movie Mank which is a, a biography of uh, Herman Mankiewicz, the writer of Citizen Kane. And I thought that like watching him and knowing that it's like, you can see the Orson Welles in this guy and he's going to be such a perfect Orson Welles. So that's Tom Burke. Uh, the movie is called The Souvenir and uh, it's on Amazon Prime Video right now, if you want to check that out. Has, has anybody here seen The Souvenir yet? Uh, I did. I saw it at Sundance. Oh, okay. what do you think about it? I really like it. It's very, very slow, which I don't have a problem with, but this was the one movie I saw at Sundance where half the audience walked out just because it was it was oh wow so slowly but um i i really liked it i mean it, it it's 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 not like a traditional narrative it's sort of like bits and pieces it's like scenes from this person's life rather than like a straightforward story but i really liked it um the the the, the acting is phenomenal so i, yeah. I it. cool uh, and then finally, I rewatched one of my favorite movies of the year, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, my wife and I loved it so much the first time that we went back and saw a second press screening of it. Um, it actually just this morning, they announced, uh, I think it's, who is, who is releasing this? Is it A24? Um, Neon. Oh, Neon. Yes, thank you. Uh, they just announced that uh, they're doing a one-week exclusive engagement on December 6th at the Angelica Film Center in New York and at the Arclight Hollywood in L.A. And then it's going to open wide on Valentine's Day 2020. Uh, add this movie to your list. I know I talked about it briefly before. It is like one of the most beautiful love stories I've ever seen in my life. It is uh, a full-blown like 
true and true, you know, all the way through Masterpiece. It is, um, it's one of my favorite movies of the decade. And, and it's weird to say that uh, Parasite and Portrait of a Lady on Fire are probably my one and two of the year. And they are also very, very high up on my best of the decade list. Like what a one-two punch. But um, God, the, this movie is just, uh, it's almost like a perfect movie. I can't think of anything wrong with it or any single thing that I would change. So I can't wait for you guys to see this. So we can talk about it more because um, it's just as moving and, and emotional and like powerful the second time through. So that's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Definitely add it to your list of things to see. Okay, let's move on to what we've been eating. Jacob, you've been eating at a place that was featured on Shark Tank? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't bring it up normally, but Peter, you and I both watch Shark Tank, so I think you'd, get a, you'd find some interest here. Uh, I think it was two weeks ago, an episode, um, I came out and they pitched a uh, chain of uh, milkshake bars called The Yard, and their whole thing was... Crazy milkshakes. Expe- crazy milkshakes topped with, you know cupcakes and chocolate uh, chocolate cake pieces and full of all kinds of toppings and endlessly customizable and you know higher priced ones like ten dollars for a milkshake you know fourteen dollars for a milkshake and they got a deal on shark tank and they have a location in Austin, so i thought oh, i'll go check this out you know i've been to a lot of ice cream milkshake places but i'll see if this one is up to snuff after all it got you know large investment on a popular television show and uh i regret to inform you peter that the, the yard is only okay it is. Uh, it makes you wonder if anybody who were, who on Shark Tank has had a milkshake in a long time, because what they're doing here is nothing new. And while it's fine, it's not particularly impressive. And maybe it's an awesome location, but if you're the kind of person who says, "Come spend fourteen dollars on this milkshake," oh, you want top of the cupcake? Maybe hide the fact that you're using store-bought cupcakes from a local grocery store, because you can see those packages behind oh, wow. the counter. And it's it just like all the toppings and all the specialty things are like all. Literally bought from grocery stores. They don't, they don't even hide it. And the shakes themselves are fine. They're they're totally adequate milkshakes. But if you're the kind of person who saw them pitching this on a major TV show where a multi-million dollar investor says, you're the next big thing. Here's my money. Let's make this happen. Uh, I think there are much better options for sweet treats out there, especially in a city like Austin or anywhere else where we're going to find this place. Yeah, I, I think it's this whole Instagram culture, though. Like, like It's not that it tastes amazing it's that it looks amazing and it makes people jealous on your instagram that's probably it but man i'm at this point if i spend 14 dollars on a damn milkshake i'm gonna go somewhere i taste good and this place is only okay disappointing sad to hear that jacob um by the way i uh so you were taking a day off from your diet uh yeah i'm taking a keto break right now i am still exercising five to six times a week twice a day uh let's see be pacific peter i Exercise twice a day, Monday to Friday. Um, so I am maintaining right now. I'm not losing, but I'm also letting my body recharge. I'm going back to keto on January 1st. Uh, see, I, I went off the diet. This this YouTube channel has been the death of me. I've gained like 20 pounds of the 60 pounds I lost off uh, back. and um, But I have recently gone back on the diet. Um, and I have gotten a thing called Green Chef, which is kind of like – uh, blue apron or any of those like meal you know you get uh three meals in a box and you cook them and they actually have a keto plan so if you're looking oh, for really? a easy way to make keto like you know you make the meal in like a half an hour and they've been very good i've had two weeks of them i can send you a referral if you need it but um yes yeah please yeah like i said i've reached a point where like my body just needed a break so i yeah. I, I i haven't gained a significant amount of weight uh but i've been you know just 
um, actualizing enough that I haven't, you know, backtracked at all. Uh, so it's just, it's been interesting. Um, and I'm looking, I'm kind of looking forward to getting my system cleaned out and getting back to the low carb situation uh, once Christmas is over, because between now and Christmas, I, I, I can't make it happen. So yeah, as long as you're not gaining weight, Jacob, don't worry about it. You've made great progress. So, uh, I mean, I just saw on your Instagram, you did like a photo of you from 2009 to 2019. And you like, I didn't believe it was the same person. Yeah, I, I was uh, over 400 pounds in that picture and I'm not 400 pounds now. So, well, that's crazy. Um, okay. Uh, Brad, what have you been eating? Uh, so when my girlfriend and I went to Chicago to do a uh, double feature and food out there, we wanted to find someplace really uh, cool to get some dessert after our second movie. And we found this place called Mindy's Hot Chocolate. Um, and there I had the best hot chocolate I have ever had in my entire life. Hands down. Um, this place was unbelievable. Um, it's, it's the kind of place where the hot chocolate does cost uh, $11, but holy crap, is it worth it. Um, they, the, it's the, the cocoa, uh, the hot chocolate basically tastes the way like hot, you imagine hot chocolate in movies would taste because they make it look so creamy and warm and delicious. And so the, uh, the one we got is, it's called the old fashioned and it's medium hot chocolate, uh, milk chocolate, cocoa nibbed, nib whipped ganache. And they put a, a marshmallow in the cup and it is, so creamy and it's very rich to the point where we we couldn't even finish ours even though it tasted so good it was just, it was hard to finish just because it was so so rich um but it was the, the taste was absolutely incredible and on top of that they have amazing desserts too um the the one that we try, tried that was our favorite was uh it's bread pudding but it's much better than just plain bread pudding because it's banana chocolate babka butterscotch cream and oat scotchy crunch and man, it was it was so good. Um, it's it's definitely uh, a little a little pricey considering you're getting just dessert and hot chocolate. But in my opinion, it's it's worth it to to try it out. So if you're ever in the Chicago area, seek out Mindy's Hot Chocolate, and you won't be disappointed. Very cool. Okay, so that is in Chicago. Yeah. Very cool. Okay, uh, you can find more of all of our work at slashfilm.com. You can find me at Peter Serretta on Twitter. You can uh, you can. Find this podcast, Slash Film Daily, published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow. Hey. Hey, Peter. Uh, Peter. Jacob, you're taking a break from keto. There's no joke book. It's it's uh, no keto, no jokes. I didn't know that. Can you hear me, Peter? Can you hear me? You hear, can, you, can you hear me? <laughs> yes, unfortunately. J- Peter, J- can you hear me? J- Jacob, I, I think we lost you. I can't hear you. All right, then I'm, I'm going to announce into the void. Uh, <sighs> I'm going to read from the gargantuan book of insults, offense, and effrontery, sharp retorts, reposts, caustic quips, and implied put-downs by Louis A. Safian. The only one who's safe today is H.T., because he's halfway around the world. <laughs> this is from page 45 in the cream puffs section, which I think may be a slur against feminine men. Um, we'll find out. Uh, Peter, you're as jumpy as a kangaroo, as fidgety as an old maid, and as pliable as wax. <laughs> what? You're as jumpy as a kangaroo, as fidgety as an old maid, and as pliable as wax. Wait, why is an old maid fidgety? Peter, you're as jumpy as a kangaroo, as fidgety as an old maid, 
and it's pliable as wax. Ha. Uh, uh, huh. All right, Chris. He gives his conscience a lot of credit that belongs to his cold feet. Oh. Ben, he's a man of conviction. <laughs> ben is a man of conviction after he knows what his wife thinks. <laughs> yep. And Brad, he has a lot of courage to bear the misfortune of others. Uh, that seems yeah. like a compliment, doesn't it? He has I mean, a lot of courage I... oh, to boy. bear the misfortune of others. We can't question these. We have to just move on. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. We're all as nervous as a diner watching the chef handling a racing form. Um, I don't know what a racing form is, Jacob. I'm so sorry. He's as nervous as a diner watching <laughs> the chef handling a racing form. Oh, boy. I I'm confused. Like, is a racing form like you go to the races and you bet on the horses? He's as nervous as a diner watching the chef handling a racing form. Uh, yeah, it appears to be that, Peter. I just Googled it real quick. Wait, why, like why is he at a diner, though? Like, maybe he's, maybe, maybe he's going to gamble away the diner, and they're like, oh, no. Maybe you're taking a gamble that you're not actually eating the horse? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I have no idea. Well, he all, you guys also have as much guts as a skeleton. Uh, Fair enough. You all work so hard because you're too nervous to steal. I feel like that's a good quality. Yeah, it's that, how is that an insult? Your ulcers are not from what you eat, but from what's eating you. Are you giving us extras because we might not have a water cooler episode next week because of the holidays, Jacob? I'm very concerned about this, Peter. Also, I, I, miss, I miss being able to insult HD. She always took it in stride. Also, I, think the, <laughs> I think the cream puff section... I was initially worried it was going to be a homophobic thing, but apparently Cream Puffs, by definition of Louis A. Safian, is a weak-willed person and not you know, and not, not a gay man, which is my concern. I'm very, very concerned. I'm wanting to open a section of this book, guys, <laughs> and find racist, homophobic shit that I've been promoting Louis A. Safian's work for years, and suddenly I realize he's a monster and not just the greatest man of all time. I so. mean, there's definitely sexist stuff in there. We, we've encountered it. Yeah. It's true, true, true. Um, you guys, while we're here... Um, I don't know if you ever looked at the very first page of this book, the very first joke of the book. And Peter, you can cut the darkness right after I say this because you can't top this one. Uh, he has gone the way of all flash. 